Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Ah, I love that. I truly do. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Colossians. We, I did a, a, a summary of Gnosticism, which is the backdrop for Colossians, um, on Saturday, or on yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Today's Tuesday. My goodness. Um, and today we're going to actually start into the book Colossians. Now, one couple things about Colossians. First of all, uh, I don't think it was a church founded by Paul specifically, and we're going to see that. Second of all, this first chapter is Paul's version of what John did in his first chapter of his gospel, and he presents a very clear picture of who Jesus is, and that's very important. Uh, Gnosticism in the first century, the danger of Gnosticism was that it uses our language, the language of Christians, but they twist it and they sound like us and initially they look like us, uh, but very quickly it's easy to determine that they're not like us. Gnostics are not like us. And we're going to see reflections of this Gnosticism that Paul is addressing in today's church. And hopefully we'll get to some of that. Um, The basic acid test for who is an Orthodox Christian or not is what they believe about Jesus. A friend of mine who worked uh, for the government tells me that when they, uh, when they search and study uh, paper money to find which ones are false and which ones are real. When they study and prepare for this, they don't study all the different ways that counterfeit money is made or all the different ways that counterfeit money can look. What they do is they study real money to the extent that they can quickly spot a counterfeit because they've studied the original. Well, we are going to study the original when we talk about Jesus in this book of Colossians. So without any further ado, let's get started. Now, a group called the Gnostics, which is derived from the word for knowledge, Gnosis, claim they possess privileged supernatural knowledge necessary for salvation. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to believers in the small city of Colossae, located in the southwest interior of modern Turkey, to warn about the subtle arguments and false teachings that threatened to undermine the Colossians' faith. Paul intended to make clear the nature and identity of Jesus in order to refute those who challenged Jesus' deity and authority. The letter emphasizes the supremacy of Christ 
and what that means for everyday living and other and offer specific ways to develop attitudes and actions that honor the Lord. Now, I'm just going to review what John said in his first chapter because you're going to see echoes of it in what Paul writes. Now, Paul wrote his, Paul wrote this letter before John wrote his gospel. But here's what John said. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him, that is the Word, i.e. Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word, i.e. Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God. That's probably one of the most concise and succinct uh, responses to what um, Gnosticism was presenting in the first century. Now, let's get to what Paul has to say. In chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. Over here, you can see where Colossae is. Um, I've got a little map right here. It's just to the right of Laodicea. You can see where the seven churches of Revelation are that John writes to, and Colossae is just really close to Laodicea. And it's my understanding that it was probably planted during the revival that Paul was participating in in Ephesus when he stayed there for three years. Verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. And Paul's Throwing some hints out here. The true message. In other words, you're getting a message right now that isn't true. But the message you heard in the beginning from us was true. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras. Epaphras, not Paul, founded this church. Our dear fellow servant, who is faithful, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras went out from Paul, it sounds like, established this church. And he said, and down here he says, he's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. In other words, it sounds like Paul sent him out. Uh, Paul multiplied his efforts. He tells Timothy later on to pass on what he knows to people who will pass on them to other people. He, Paul was, Paul introduced the, the theme of discipleship into the Christian world. And this is, and much like a, a rabbi would have his followers, like Jesus had his 12 followers. Uh, Christian teachers would have people, a core of people, a circle of people that they pour themselves into who will take what they're teaching out. And that's what Paul had done. And in apparently Epaphras was one of those. And he planted the church in Colossae. 
For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All right, some of the themes of Gnosticism, first century Gnosticism, was dark and light. And we're going to see how that plays out here in a minute. But Paul is using language that the Gnostics would draw from to present themselves as equally authoritative as Paul. They talked in terms of light and dark. They talked in terms of knowledge, the knowledge of God, in order to live a life that's worthy of him in every way. They talked about attaining special knowledge. They talked about light and dark. But what they mean and what Jesus means and what Paul means by these terms, different things. Let's take a look. Gnosticism versus Christianity in a nutshell. Number one, Gnosticism rejected the body and saw it as a prison for the soul. Christianity insists that God infuses all creation and that even the human body can be a vessel of holiness, a temple of the Holy Spirit. Two, Gnosticism rejected the Hebrew scriptures and portrayed the God of the Jews as an evil spirit. The Old Testament God, some said, was Satan himself. Christianity looked on Judaism as a mother. Christianity recognized that Judaism gave birth to Messiah, which gave birth to what would become known as Christianity. Three, Gnosticism was elitist. Special knowledge for special people. Christianity was egalitarian, preferring neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. And finally, four, Gnosticism was just too complicated. Christianity maintained the simple invitation of the one who said, let the little children come unto me. Full-blown science fiction Gnosticism dies under its own weight. It gets too complicated and too obtuse. The faith of Christianity, this, the thing that saves us, the thing that we, this, what we believe in, is very simple. And we read it when we read our uh, Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. Much of this Apostles' Creed was written to refute doctrine of the Gnostics. They believed that the human body was evil. So Jesus himself, the man, Jesus, son of Mary, could not be God because he was flesh and bone. They said that the spirit of Messiah descended upon Jesus at baptism and was taken away from him on the cross because there was just no way God could die. There's... And it just gets more complicated from that point on. 
and the Apostles' Creed was written to address those issues. So the Apostles' Creed has a very important part in my life because it reminds me of the core simplicity and power of the faith that I believe in. All right, let's keep going. Verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. All right, now this hits hard at well as Gnostics, pillars of their truth. For Paul, belief in the deity of Christ is practical. Since he is by nature God, Christ reveals the God who is otherwise invisible. This thought is also found in John and Hebrews. Calvin observes that we must be careful not to look for him anywhere else, for apart from Christ, whatever offers itself to us in the name of God will turn out to be an idol. Hmm. Again, God in Gnosticism, God is a mysterious God, stands far away, and only a few can get to see him or understand understand him, excuse me. And Paul says we can see him. He came in the form of Jesus. John says it, we beheld his glory as the only begotten Son of God. He was the Word. For in him, all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things are being created through him and for him. We're talking the Genesis creation story here. Jesus, the creator. Why is this important? It's because they are, the Gnostics would say that the God of the Old Testament is not the God we worship as believers today. They would say the God of the Old Testament was evil and dark. The God of the New Testament is light and love. The God of the Old Testament cannot be the God we worship today. That's what Gnostics believed. Here, Paul is saying what John said. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. Through him all things were made that are made. He's saying that. Paul's saying that here. All things were created through Jesus. Let there be no doubt. He's talking about Jesus, and he's attaching Jesus to the Old Testament which means that the Jesus we worship, Messiah that we worship, who saved us, is the Old Testament God. There is no Old Testament God, New Testament God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God's fullness dwelt in Messiah, in Jesus. Very important. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul ties Jesus to the Old Testament God. Goes against the Gnostic teaching. Paul ties Jesus. Paul ties God, excuse me. Paul ties God to the Jesus who died on the cross. He doesn't, Paul does not believe that God and Jesus were separate. He's tying Jesus from Old Testament to the present. By pointing to the supremacy 
of Christ, both in creation and in redemption. He points out what was missing in the false teaching of Colossae, an an adequate view of the person of Christ. Who is Christ? Who is Messiah? Messiah, (laughs) Messiah was God in the flesh. Something that the Gnostics could not and would not believe. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Hmm. Again, another dig at the Gnosticism. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Christ's physical, the Christ's physical death is an incredibly important part of our belief system. God became flesh and God allowed himself to be sacrificed in order that the blood penalty would be paid so that we could have fellowship with him. If, he says, he's going to present you holy in his sight without blemish if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul is giving a subtle warning here. He says, he'll present you holy in his sight if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Now, Paul is not saying that you have to you have to hang on to this faith with all your strength to the day you die in order to be saved. That puts the onus on you, and that makes you the author of your salvation. What he's really saying is that this is how we know who the true believers are. They're there at the end. This is how we know who have truly been called of God. It's called the per, this doctrine is called the perseverance of the saints by the Presbyterians. The perseverance of the saints basically just means if you are truly called of God, you will be there at the end, just as you were at the beginning. God, it is God's faith, it is God's strength, it is God's responsibility to keep you in the faith. Now, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations and now is disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. Christianity is a mystery religion in the sense that there are mysteries. There are things that are unexplainable. And one of these is why would God die for us? Why would God put on flesh, be born of a in, in a manger in Bethlehem, why would God suffer at the hands of his creation? It's a mystery. But that's not the mystery Paul is talking about here. The mystery he's talking about is 
God is now allowing Gentiles in on equal footing with his Jewish children. The nation of Israel was chosen by God among us, all the nations, not because they were godly. They weren't. They were like every nation around them, rebellious, stiff-necked. But God chose them and made them the vehicle through which he would send prophets and his words through Torah, the five books of Moses, the law and the prophets. Uh, And he made his will known, revealed himself to creation through Israel. There came a point in history where it was time now to open up the gates to let Gentiles in. And that's what Paul is talking about. This is that time. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is not a mystery that can only be understood by an elite few like the Gnostics had. This is a mystery that Paul is just throwing down in front of everybody. Here's a mystery. This is what it's all about. God has chosen to make himself known to you, Gentiles, the glorious riches of his, uh, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Mm. As we go on, we're going to see Paul address other aspects of Gnosticism as he's preaching to the, as he's writing this letter to the, to the Colossians. And again, it boils down to this. What do you do with Jesus? Ah, exactly, John. John writes, Could not get a grip on it. As a little boy, I thought, how amazing. He experienced our human struggle and even prayed about the crucifixion. Amazing grace, unboundless love, mystery. The mystery is us being chosen. Yes, sir, Mr. Joseph, absolutely. Um, I'm going to close with this. I, I was discipling three or four young men when I was in the Navy years ago. Had them over to my house for Bible study. And we're going through a believer's, you know, like a a new discipleship Bible study type thing. Um, And one of them brought a girl that he was very interested in. She was very pretty, um, well-spoken. And we sat down to do a Bible study. And she reached in her purse and pulled out several pieces of fruit and started to arrange and started sectioning the fruit and arranging them in uh, a very specific pattern in front of her. And I asked her what she was doing. She says, oh, I'm preparing an altar. And I said, we don't need an altar here. And she started arguing with me a little bit. And I don't know what led me down this road, but I stopped and I asked her, I says, who do you say Jesus is? Because the Bible says, I knew this at the time, the Bible says no one can call Jesus Lord except those who follow him. I said, so I asked her, who is Jesus? And she started hemming and hawing, not answering the question directly. I pressed, who is Jesus? And then she said something like, but I love his word. I said, okay. And I held up the Bible and I passed the Bible over to her. She wouldn't take it. I said, find John 3.16 if you love the word so much and tell me what it says. 
And then she started getting very combative. Her complexion changed even. And she became very angry. She ended up leaving the Bible study, getting up and leaving. And the men, young men I was discipling were totally freaked out. Honestly, so was I a little. This is my first time that I met somebody who I believe was demon-possessed. And instinctively, I went to Jesus as my defense. Who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? Read John 3.16, which we all know is God loves the world. He gave his only begotten son, that if you believe in him, you won't perish, but have everlasting life. And she would not read it. She would not take the Bible from me. She ended up leaving. And I remember telling her, telling them that they needed to be careful about people who claim to be Christians and aren't really, and I, and I explained to them what had just happened. Now, I came off much smarter than I really am. Truth is, I was shaking in my boots because I believe this is the first time I'd ever encountered a demoniac. Um, and I was very very frightened of what I just witnessed. But at the same time, I was very encouraged because my defense was Jesus. My defense against that demonic attack was to rely on who Jesus was. I understood who Jesus was. And that was my defense. That's what Paul is teaching us here. He's going to teach us in Colossians. What you believe about Jesus is of utmost importance. Utmost importance. We need to have a clear understanding of how Jesus is. And that's where Paul's, where Paul's going to be taking us. Absolutely, Mr. Joseph. Yeah, that was, there were some interesting times. I'm sure you've had some. Well, with that, ladles and jelly spoons and uh, Mr. Joseph, I am going to finish my coffee. And I am going to be out of here. Have yourself a glorious day tomorrow. We go to Colossians chapter 2. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.